0: What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome to episode 86 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today we're jumping into part three of Brandon Sanderson's
1: Words of Radiance. Drew, let's get that recap, my dude. Yeah, so for this part, we read the second set of interludes. Once again, there were four in this portion we had two from Eshonai's point of view, one from Zael, and one from the Herald Tone. Uh For Eshonai, she goes out into the storm and bonds the new Spren and discovers the new form of power, Storm Form. And we have some disconcerting things happen there, where Eshinai is screaming inside of herself, and her personality is totally different, and she's like all evil and has red eyes. Um, from there, we move into part three itself, where Shalon finally arrives on the Shattered Plains. She cleverly maneuvers herself into an arrangement with uh, High Prince Sabarial, where he is paying her to hang out at his manor, where, you know, she's got a little more freedom than if she had been a lesser clerk in, in Dalinar's household. Uh... She also uses that freedom to worm her way into the ghost bloods. She disguises herself as Vail, uh Tin's apprentice, and meets Moraes and uh, learns a little more about the Ghost Bloods and learns more about Amaram, because she is given the charge of breaking into Amaram's estate and and finding out some information in his office, and she discovers that Amaram is trying to bring back the Voidbringers. Um she eventually has to admit to Morais that she did, in fact, kill Tin. And Tin is not just sick, but uh, she impresses Mraze with her uh, infiltration skills and with her sketching. And she avoids being killed by some of the other Ghostblood compatriots. Meanwhile, uh, Kaladin is really struggling. Uh, he figures out that Moash was involved in the attempt on Elokar's life. And Moash and his compatriots, including a man named Graves and uh, the, the woman Danlin, who was uh, one of Adolin's exes, are trying to recruit Kaladin into their little group to assassinate Elokar. Kaladin says he is going to uh, turn them in, but before he gets a chance to do that, he gets wrapped up in a scheme of Adelins where Adolin... Inadvertently takes on a duel against four Shardbearers at once. Kaladin jumps in and helps him defeat them and totally misinterprets the situation. <laughs> and while Adelin was given a boon from Elokar and Adelin decides he's going to use that to duel Sadius, Kaladin jumps in and demands his own boon, the, uh, the chance to take down Amaram. And Elokar is not happy with that and throws Kaladin in prison. And that's uh, that's pretty much where we end up at the end of part three. Mm. So
0: so jumping into style, let's talk epigraphs again. This time we have some extremely cryptic passages from the in-world text Words of Radiance, one of the oldest surviving texts on Roshar. These epigraphs give us a little more context to the orders and their temperaments and, and everything about their final days. I, though, I'll admit that they're a little dense. They were a little dense to pick apart, at least on my first couple of rereads. Um I found them to be a little verbose. Uh, the constant use of the semicolon you know leads to a bit of confusion at times. It feels like a run- on sentence even though when you take a step back and look at it structurally, it's actually perfect. Um, but you know I, I by now I've picked these through a dozen times or more and I can make sense of them they're just they're definitely a little more involved in in terms of um, just sheer aesthetics. So I, I wanted to ask you drew, how how you felt about these epigraphs?
1: Yeah, so. They are written in a very different style. Mm. They're purposely written in an archaic style. Uh, You get a lot of um, more... uh, Like, hyper-traditional sentence constructions. Like, uh, the kind of things you would expect in... In, like, 16th, 17th century England. Rather than, you know, in a 21st century fantasy novel. Um, And the way they're written you know, where these are taken out of context, a lot of the sentences and a lot of the information just doesn't mean anything because we don't have the uh, the appropriate context to understand. You know, Like, there... A lot of them obliquely mention or obliquely reference other parts of the words of Radiance text that we just don't have. So we can't understand it. Uh, I... Uh, I think it's an interesting choice on Brandon's part. I I don't dislike it. Uh, I I do think it gives the text a a a weight, you know, a feeling of of age, which I appreciated. And and this just goes to show, you know, when Brandon Sanderson puts his mind to it, he very much can write more, you know, mm. a, a more dense, more involved Absolutely, prose yeah. than than his normal very straightforward, you know, uh, window dressing kind of thing, rather than. You know creating a stained glass window
0: yeah no definitely definitely i enjoy them now like i said earlier they were a little confusing at first i had to stop and and pick them apart very carefully um you know trying to, to to glean everything i could from them and i have been ever since But that said, I still do like them. I definitely appreciate them a lot more than than, um, the the ones previously that that we were talking about with the Parshendi rhythms and their ancient songs. I mean, those were cool in an entirely different way, but uh, I, I like these more, just because, like, there is still information to be had out of the... Oh, there is still information to be had out of the Parshendi songs as well. That's not what I meant to say. I just... I I, I really, really appreciated this this uh, musing, if you will, about the orders themselves and how they differed from one another. And we, we get these very, very brief glimpses. Of things that were happening during the final days before the recreants and, and simply for that alone, because we can place this in t- the chronologically, I I just I don't know. There's something about this that I like a lot more, and I would like to see some
1: more of this in the future. Yeah, it would be interesting to get more information from this book. You know, with with the greater context that you know we have, maybe with a couple more books in the series. You know, a little mm-hmm. more understanding about the current incarnations of the the Knights Radiant and, and seeing them compared and contrasted with the, the ancient orders. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, my, my second style point out of three for today is this Taln viewpoint that we get. Talinolat Ilin, Stone Sindhu, the Herald of War. This The chapter that we got from his point of view is so brief but it's so haunting. In, in this chapter, Brandon gets to write from the point of view of a madman. Not someone who's mentally broken like many of his other characters this time it's somebody absolutely insane beyond the ability in many ways to even form coherent thought i found it to be fascinating this mantra that he's repeating which you know though it's broken it gives us some more clues the repetitive nature of certain thoughts and how they're on loop how long it had been how long it had been how long it had been i really really like the aesthetic here despite it's really disturbing nature, or maybe because of its really disturbing nature, but I, I really think Brandon knocked this one out of the park. How about you, dude?
1: Yeah, uh, I I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I didn't have, like, you know, a, a, I didn't go nuts over the Talon interlude. I thought it was interesting the first time I read it, uh, uh, but, I don't know, I thought the Zael interlude was more, more interesting. Did you know?
0: Yeah. I can't yeah. say I honestly feel the same way. I mean, there's a lot more to get out of that one, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just the aesthetic. Yeah, it could just be me. Uh, yeah, something yeah, for it could aesthetic. Be. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, anything else you want to talk about style before I jump on my last style point? Uh, no. Go ahead. Okay. Um, it's it's actually just one line, and it's it's not only great in and of itself. I mean, the context that it gives us is delicious, it's savory, it, it, but it's still delivered in this this dry way. But more importantly, it's where Brandon specifically chooses to place this line, and this is right in Smack in Chapter forty four, one form of justice. As Kaladin is watching Adelin and Renarin and Xyle train with the shard blades <clears throat> from right beside him, Moash's voice. It was the king. He had my family executed. Like Brandon places that little bit of revelation smack in the middle of where it doesn't belong. And because of that, the punch it delivers is so much more effective because you're not ready for it. In this moment, especially with my first read, I remember this very vividly. The reader is just as confused as Kaladin is. And it for me, it took about the same few seconds to catch up. You know, Especially with my writing speed, my level of confusion and comprehension at that moment, it started to click in my mind at the same instant that Kaladin started to make that connection as well. And so in a small way, even the immersion was on point here. uh, There's another moment where Sanderson does something like this expertly, and that's in Alloy of Law, but I'll wait until we get to our Cosmere-wide spoiler discussion to get into that, but I love (laughs) this moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that is a good point. I hadn't considered it in that way, but you're right, it... Uh, by, by taking that line out of the initial context, away from the first conversation when Kaladin is trying to get it out of Moash, by having Moash say, you know, you know, no, like I'll, not, not now. I'll tell you. I'll tell you some other time. Yeah. Um. And then having him do it here, it, it not only uh, you know builds drama, but it also plays in neatly in a thematic way because this is a scene where Kaladin and Moash are dark eyes surrounded by light eyes in a, in a normally off limits place right next to the King's shards being trained with, you know, like that there's, it's this, this juxtaposition of the plight of the dark eyes in the height of the power of the light eyes so it's very clever there Hmm. agreed totally agreed man i love it and somehow
0: i always forget that it's coming when i'm reading this scene and it hits me again every single time there's just something perfect about it but um yeah that's the end of my style discussion i'm ready to go into characters start with kaladin of course Sure, yeah, let's start with Kaladin. See, so much win. So much win out of Kaladin for this part, at least narratively speaking, for what I'm looking for. This here is my favorite Kaladin. The man who rises to the challenge to defend his ideals, who throws himself over the ledge and steps into the arena amongst four shardbearers, not counting Adolin and Renarin. I mean, this may be the single most excited moment I've ever had reading Stormlight book. And there I go again with grandiose words. I talk about my favorite book. I talk about my favorite character, my favorite opening scene, my favorite opening line I've discussed. But this is the single most physical reaction I think I've ever had reading a Stormlight book. For those in the know, Drew had me record a reaction video once when I read a certain moment at the end of this same book, at the end of Words of Radiance. But even that reaction where I hollered and I threw my e-reader into the couch cushions and I ran across the, the, my living room, and my college apartment even that wasn't as much of a physical reaction as I had in the moment where Kaladin whispers honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do if this goes badly, take care of my men or whatever it is he says after that and then we yeah. switch to Shallan's point of view very briefly she's trying to pull together a plan as well and then the scene ends, Shallan's scene there also ends with the six greatest words in this whole book someone
1: else dropped to the sands <laughs> just I love that so much you know? yeah yeah the the honor is dead but I'll see what I can do that, that is an absolutely iconic line. There is no doubt about that um, but I, I wanted to concentrate a little more on some of the Calden things earlier in this part because Calden okay. is awesome in in that duel until he's an idiot at the end of it but <laughs> yeah. before that we see Calden really struggling. We see him really struggling not only with his, you know, his sense of duty, but with his oaths, you know, that he's, he's on the verge of going to try to sneak into Amram's manor, surge bind in through the window and, and assassinate the guy, like, uh, and, and Sill convinces him, you know, after, after he has his first time flying and, you know, he's practicing in the chasms, jumping on the walls and. And then he finally lashes himself into the sky and still convinces him, you know, no, don't don't go kill Amram. You know, don't, don't ruin this night with that. Um, you, you know, we, we get to see it, a really cool internal conflict playing out with Kaladin where so much of what he has wanted is available to him now. In all the worst ways. And then we see him make the decision at the end of this part. No, I'm going to turn them in. Moash, you're going to go out on patrol so you don't get caught up in this. I'm turning them in. And, and, and then... And then... After making that decision, he makes one more decision and he flips the other way. He gives in to the vengeance. He gives in to... His his uh, problematic instincts, and demands the boon after the duel, and ruins it. Just ruins it.
0: Yeah, I'll say I like. I never really understood at first, and this is I, I want to reiterate uh, at first um, the the frustration that a lot of fans I had heard that they had at Kaladin like when he stepped up after the duel, like you said, and demanded that duel with Amaram and just completely spoke to their their wheel, which had momentum at this point. I'd heard a few fans express irritation with Kaladin over, like, screwing things up, as they put it, you know, right when things were working out. And, I, and after the past few reads, I am finally starting to understand that frustration. Like, I always thought, yeah, Kaladin's not a flawless character, but he follows his heart, and his heart is generally always in the right, you know, pointed in the right direction. But there are things he does simply without thinking. Like... I, I mean, like, in, in a way, the, the, that's a reason why we like him so much. He's passionate. All the greatest things he has done, he did instinctively. He's not a man of thought. He's a man of action. But, unfortunately, that is a double-edged sword. Or, to put it yeah. in a way that Kaladin could understand, a spear with two points, one on each end. It, this, it was not a smart move, my dude. No. I, I love you, Kaladin, but goddamn, man, you guys had him. You, li- you had him, and... I, don't, I I, I right. can see that frustration now.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, and it just feels to me it, it it's more frustrating. Um, even beyond just like oh you ruined the the plan with the boon you know to corner Sadius. it's more frustrating because he had just finally made a decision to step in the right direction before the duel. And now he's walking back that decision, and making it worse. And you're like, "Ugh." I don't know man. if I agree with yeah. that because he thought in that moment he was still doing the right thing as well. He was just—I mean, he was caught up no, in the he, moment, as Dalinar he, said. But... hes trying to convince himself that taking vengeance on Amaram is doing the right thing. But this okay. whole time, Syl has been telling him, "No, that's not what your oaths are. Who are you protecting? You're not protecting anybody. You're getting vengeance."
0: Okay. Okay, and this you know actually this 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 brings to mind uh, something that she told him. I believe in part two when she told him, "You're not a skybreaker, Kaladin. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not your mo." Okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. That's a good point. I can I can absolutely accept that.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, I did have one one little minor note that I, I kind of laughed about. Um, okay, when Kaladin was training himself in the chasms and, and talking about how when he lashes himself. You know he he keeps stumbling, and uh, and 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 how it felt so unnatural, and he had to like each time he would change orientation, he he had to like take some time to, to get his head straight and figure it out, and and I just laughed because there was one line where uh, jumping onto the wall felt too unnatural when he hit it took time to orient himself. Um, and I don't know if you've read Ender's game, Rob. I, I read it I've read it twice, once
0: in high school, okay. and I read it once back in like twenty eleven when I was listening on an audiobook. I also I also saw the movie after that, but the the total amount that I can remember out of Ender's game is probably forty percent of that book. So
1: Well well maybe you'll remember this one. I line. remember the Zero G fights when they The enemy's gate is down. Kaladin um, needed Ender to teach him how to Uh, how to deal with with uh, zero g or changing gravity yeah the enemy's gate is down kaladin spatial awareness the whole point the whole point of of the the gravity and the zero gravity uh in ender's game right is you know like you're you have to teach yourself to not become disoriented and so it's like you 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 have to pick a direction that's your down Or if I may... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to expand upon. And and that's exactly what Kaladin is doing here. He's picking a new direction to be down, but he doesn't have that concept through his head yet. And so that's what he's struggling with in this chapter. And I I just got a chuckle out of it and just thought Yeah, he has to give up any
0: notion that he has of proper orientation. Once he does... Yeah, and you're right. He
1: absolutely needed Ender in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. Um, Um. So, yeah, and then... Uh, no, I'll, I'll save that uh, actually for the for the lore segment, I guess. <laughs> okay,
0: Chelan. Um, sure. Okay. So we have now, in in my opinion, um, the, the palatable Chelan once more. She finally settles into the shattered plains. And the politics there. She's actually getting things done. Rather than just surviving until the next day. Which itself is, yeah. is respectable. I can respect that. But I like seeing her being able to uh, to flex, if you will. Her, her mm-hmm. stoic face at first. Well, her stoic face when she delivers the news of Yasna's death to Nivani and Elokar, the way she maneuvers herself into that meeting and, and secures herself, you know, for the for the great for the most part, independent lodgings. Making good on her promise to secure pardons for her men, that was a big deal, especially to me mm-hmm. back in the day. Like I was I really just like Vatha, just like ask, I was kind of doubting her a little bit. I was like, how the hell do you actually plan on doing this? You don't know anything about Dalinar. You don't know what kind of man he is or what kind of man the king is. I loved seeing her do that. Her infiltration mm-hmm. of the Ghostbloods has started. Her courtship of, of Adolin has begun. She's surrounded by the Alethi nobility, but she refuses to be intimidated. I like Shallan in this yeah. part. And don't get me wrong. I won't argue that most of the Shallan fans aren't validated by the strength of her character before this, even if I don't feel that same way. But now that she's managed to reach Natan, it feels to me like she's a particularly competent and entertaining seed which has finally found fertile and, and more importantly stable ground upon which to dig in roots and actually grow and to flourish. What this woman can accomplish when she's not running for her life or trying to track someone down is astounding. And this may be a large part, when I, when I take a step back and look introspectively, this may be a large part of why back in the Way of Kings, for part three, I said I really liked Shallan quite a bit more in that part because, again, she was in the Carbranthian Palace and she was, you know, debating with Yasna
1: every day. Uh, comfortable Shallan, for me, is the best Shallan. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I I do really enjoy her in this part, I'm, but I have generally enjoyed her in this whole book. So mm-hmm. I can't, you know, say it's like a particularly outstanding thing that I enjoy her. Um, <laughs> it's uh, a but, diplomatic but these, way to put that. These scenes are <laughs> these these scenes are fun. Uh, there's good character development for her. Uh, it's it's nice seeing her. Feel okay to just be herself. I, obviously, this is a, a huge, huge theme for Shalon is is being comfortable as herself. Uh, I mean, she she had one line even where she she's talking about um, how how she was faking. You know, like th- this is in the scene when she is veil vale and she's going to meet the ghost Bloods. And uh you know she says part of her didn't want to go forward with it obviously and her mind was trying to distract her she was becoming increasingly aware of this defense of hers she used it she needed it but she couldn't let it control her life and this is this is the core of Shalon's struggle mm-hmm. is is her personality and and her mind her as defenses for her past trauma and she is aware that that past trauma is controlling her life, and that she needs to get a grip on it. But she's struggling with it.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, but yeah. As we as we were discussing with Craig Hanks, you know, we wouldn't want her
0: to just to, to suddenly and miraculously get over everything. That wouldn't be yeah. That wouldn't be ideal. So it, it's good that even though she's so comfortable, she still has something to push against. She has something to work on. Uh, and and well, I also
1: sorry, go ahead. I, I just said most certainly. Oh, okay.
0: I thought you said I also, in the same way that I just did. I, I did appreciate that, that Brandon found something useful for her to do during the epic White Spine Unleashed chapter. We have mm. a powerful character, both you know, intellectually and magically, who finds herself, because of her station as a woman in a Lethian noble society, effectively with her hands tied socially. She can't really jump into the action here. But she still manages to piece together some way of help, small as it is, sending pattern down to distract one of the shard bearers, I think was a stroke of genius, in my opinion. Not necessarily on her part, but on Brandon's part. I feel like this scene would have... It would have been missing something if if Shalon hadn't... Or, I should say, if she actually did spend the entire time just impotent. But we still got one tiny point of view, and we got one clever bit of inspiration from her. I thought it was masterful. It's reminding us that she's there, and that she's still relevant, despite the fact that she's not... She doesn't explode. She doesn't have the flair that Kaladin and Adolin do at this point. Yeah. But she
1: sends down pattern. And but pattern she sends down pattern. Yep. Screws with. Yep. And, uh, and catches uh, Sil's attention, uh, too. A, a Brotabar? Was that his name? Something like that? Oh, I, I
0: pronounce it Avrobatar. I think that's what the audiobook does, too. Yeah. Okay. But then again, I've been saying Adolin oh. this whole time, and I'm pretty sure most people say Adolin. So yeah, I, I'm yeah. not an authority here. I just go by, I think I go by the audiobooks. <laughs> but yeah, they kind yeah. of blend together in my head. The audio and the text, but uh, yeah, that's uh, everything I have to say about Shalon for now, and I'll have more positive to yeah. say about
1: her. Actually, a lot more positive to say about her in the next part. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say most of what I have to talk about with Shalon and her chapters today are, are gonna have to be reserved for our spoiler discussion in a little bit. But, oh yeah, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I know exactly where you're going with that, my man. Yeah. Uh, um, I didn't have anything on on Dalinar. I do have
1: some on Adolin. Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't think just I have any notes point. on Adeline in this part. Yeah. Surprisingly, I'm just going to be glowing about this this White Spine Unleashed yeah, chapter
0: yeah. again. Like this part in here in this book is when I decided Adeline Colleen is one of my one of Sanderson's greatest characters. I'm going to drive people absolutely nuts. Be switching between Adeline and Adeline. <laughs> I can't decide which one to use. Damn it! I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep switching back and forth. Sorry, everybody. Absolutely unbelievable plot advancement from the point of view and on the shoulders of someone who is still clearly a tertiary character. It's just impossible to hate that guy, as has been observed by so many of our favorite characters in this series by now. I'll Ooh. never.
1: What's that? I, I do not agree that he's a tertiary character. What? I mean, he is at at worst a secondary character, but he is one of four four major characters who've gotten points of view pretty much from the beginning of the series like really yeah he has the uh he has the fourth most uh word count in his point of view through the first three books does he really yeah calvin has the most then Shalon, then dalinar then adeline okay all right i can accept that i didn't even think about that (laughs) Good. Yeah. Okay, secondary.
0: We'll still call him a secondary character then, yeah. But still, the mm-hmm. fact that he can he can put so much writing on a secondary character's plot point, even though, of course, it, it still involves our major characters, our, our, our primary characters. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the moment where I <laughs> my pants the first
1: time I read
0: <laughs> four Shardbearers stepped out into the yeah. arena. And I'm sure everybody listening to this who's read this part remembers this moment too. Yeah. Adeline's decision to fight anyway. Xyle's voice in his head as he duels. I don't know if it's simply because I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm easy to please in terms of fantasy and swordplay. There's definitely a bit of that in me. I'll, I mean, I've been very open about that in the past. This scene has everything that Rob Santos wants in a book. There just there <laughs> isn't a damn thing I would want changed. I, I think this is undoubtedly some of Sanderson's best writing. I don't know what else to say about this scene that isn't simply a rehashing of how much freaking love it. it just in different words it's just magnificent i best part of this book for me best yeah, p- including I mean, what happens
1: in part five i've talked about uh, you know on basically every sanderson episode or or at least every book we've covered by brandon sanderson i've pointed to at least one sometimes two scenes that stand out to me as being particularly vivid and cinematic where i have just just an incredibly clear mental image of moments or scenes. You know, Some of them you know, we definitely talked about in Mistborn and, and Reckoners. This is one of those scenes in the Stormlight Archive. I, I have two very clear images in my head. One of the four Shardbearers stepping out. And the other of Kaladin walking by Dalinar... As he says, honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do, and then jumps down into the sand. Mm. Uh just delicious. Yeah. Chef's kiss. When when people complain that Brandon Sanderson isn't a good writer, um I mean I've said this before, but it's just not true. He, he's he's not, you know, a, a crazy, you know, prose artist, but man, when he oh. wants to, he can write some damn good prose. Oh.
0: I'm so sad, I just found a fruit fly
1: in my scotch. Oh no. That sucks. <laughs>
0: oh, well, just, just it's protein. It. Extra protein. It better remove them. <laughs> it's scotch. It's sterile for yeah, the most yeah. part, I think. Uh, until I had my my finger placed in it. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to to spoke your wheel there. I was just really heartbroken over that. No, I
1: was I was done. I was done with my point there. Sweet.
0: <laughs> All right. So. Yeah, I'm ready to head into our spoiler uh, spoiler-wide Cosmere discussion. Wow. You know what I meant to say there. Our, uh, let's take the gloves off. Shall we discuss our uh, miscellaneous yes. points here? Yes, let's do it. Okay, all right. So if you haven't read the rest of Sanderson's Cosmere, now's a great time to fast forward to the end of the podcast and listen to our <laughs> final draft. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, starting off here. So we in the Eshenai interlude, in one of the Eshenai interludes, the one where she actually begins her transformation, I want to point out something interesting, something that, that took me a little bit by surprise. This red spren does not need her permission to bond her. Yeah. There, there's a very specific moment right before it entered her where she actually backed up it. She said, no, yet it still took over her body. And, and mm-hmm. in this moment, of course, the Stormfather apologizes for not being able to stop it. So he <laughs> knows that she was unwilling in that last moment as well. I don't know why I had this, this predication that I, the spren need the Parshendi... To actually accept that bond? Is that actually a thing?
1: Uh... I, For I some mean, reason. I, I think it normally is. Um, right. I, I don't know why uh, I thought although that. Although I but. don't know if I can, like, directly cite that. Um, I don't know why I thought that, but I thought yeah. Spren needed permission. I, my, my assumption on it was always that Void Spren don't. Yeah, okay, see, that's where I was going to go next with this. Thank you. Although, hmm...
0: We don't see that. Much more evidence that of that might... in the future
1: too. Is this like a unique sprint of some sort? What's going on here? Uh, yeah, I because it, the they need permission for the fused to inhabit them.
0: Right, and the fused souls are far more invested, I would imagine, a lot stronger yeah. than the uh, Yeah, the yeah void they're spread. full on full on cognitive shadows. Yeah. Of course that could huh. be why it's because they're cognitive shadows, they're fully sentient. I don't I don't know, but it took me as a little as a little uh Odd. I just wanted to bring that up and see if you could, spike uh, it yeah. I'm, I'm it gonna down. have
1: to, uh, you know, after we finish recording, I might have to jump on Arcanum and see if there are any words of Brandon about it. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a chance to bring up another miscellaneous point before I go
0: into like the five or six more that I have. Sure.
1: Uh, where do I start?
0: <laughs> oh. Oh.
1: Got a few, have you? All right. We're gonna start with. Um, Shalon, as she's you know kind of uh, just arriving, right? Okay. And she's, she's talking she a, a pattern, and 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 you know, like saying how, like she's kind of rambling, like talking herself through her plans. Like, will I be able to convince Dalinar to keep me, to take me in, all this stuff. And Pattern is just kind of like, hmm, hmm, you know? And then there's one point where Pattern once again says, hmm. And then he sounded drowsy, though she didn't oh. know if Spren could get tired. What the hell is this?
0: I've heard this brought up before in uh, theory forums, and I, I myself... How, I mean, I don't even know how to begin how in explaining how little of an idea I have to put forward here. I I just chalk it up to um, a weird little bit of description, like a, a quirk in description. I, I personally don't feel like there's anything happening here, but I definitely have heard this brought up by those who know more about the Cosmere than I do, now including like, Drew McCaffrey. I like, really have nothing.
1: I my gut on this is that this seems like something that would happen to a spren maybe if their knight is skirting the lines, breaking an oath, or, or or at least stretching an oath. But that's not at least that I can tell, there's nothing like that going on with Shallan here. I do not understand what this might be. Yeah, it, we never really saw that with with, with Sill when Kaladin was overtly kind of Backpedaling on his own as well. She just became less similar things. Yeah, we get similar things. Like this could be him. Uh, like my my thinking on this is that this is pattern like becoming slower of thought because she's doing something that's damaging the bond. Okay, but I don't know what she could be doing here that would be damaging the bond. You know, I was out. I I was about
0: to offer a small counter, perhaps in that. You know, Syl didn't appear to react this way when Kaladin was reneging on his bond. She just became uh, more absent-minded. She became slightly less sentient, but she didn't appear to be tired at all. But that could also just be a quirk of windspread. They are joyful and and playful and pranksters by nature. I mean, Mm -hmm. with with cryptic, I mean, a cryptic? With cryptics, logic is a big part of their entire MO. And so for, I can imagine their brain power, or at least their intellect, receding a little bit. If the bond wanes, I mean, yeah. you might be onto something there. You definitely have more of, an, of a of a theory than I do. I have absolutely nothing, <laughs> and I can see, I can see, I think you're headed in the right direction.
1: Yeah, but I, uh, I wouldn't even imagine. So, uh, for any of our listeners, if you have any ideas on this, uh, comment online on our you know our Facebook page or on our Twitter. Let us know what you think. I didn't want to keep sipping on the fruit fly scotch, so I just
0: kind of gulped it all in one go. So I apologize to our viewers from here on out if I'm going to be uh, slurring my words a
1: little bit. Okay, so I have I have another Shalon thing here. Oh yeah. Oh, I know Uh, what it is. I think uh, is in a conversation with Balat, where she just says straight out, "He did kill mother." Talking about her father, right? She's like, "He didn't kill mother." Shalon said softly. Oh. Balat snorted. Then what did happen? And she, you know, she like refuses to let herself think about it. And and you know, again, the silence returns <clears throat> and this. Yep. Um. I don't know about you, but like the first time I read this book, that line immediately I was like, "Oh, Shalon killed her mother."
0: No, I I didn't know at all. I had no idea myself. I can I'm man enough to admit that this one went right over my head. I did not find that out until I read it. Huh. So, I'd just say bravo for catching on to that so early. I can see where how you'd get to there. when, when I mean, what context do we have about what happened that night? We know that Shalon was there. We know that the mother was killed. And we know that Lynn DeVar was there. And so, if Lynn DeVar didn't kill her, I can see how that extension logically means that right. Shalon did, especially considering she, yeah, you know, we there got There were all these four kids people then. present. Oh, right? and Drader. Pardon yeah, me. Drader, yeah, but we know that he's there. Shalon's
1: parents, Shalon's mother's lover, and Shalon. Yeah. And, and Shalon's father didn't lover. didn't kill her. Presumably, she didn't commit suicide, and yeah. that basically leaves Shalon or her mother's lover, and it just like the way the way that this scene was framed here. The first time I read it, I was just like, "Oh, oh, yeah, totally," <laughs> like Shalon definitely yeah. killed her. I think that
0: was just an astute <laughs> shot that you made. there. That was very nice, and you had all the context necessary. I just i don't know i wasn't uh i wasn't able to put it together myself that one went over my head okay first time obviously um yeah uh, how about you take one okay let's discuss um the, ch- the epigraph of chapter 41 okay chapter and 41. I'm, I'm going to read it i have it open right here it's oh exactly i actually time.
1: have this one highlighted as well
0: <laughs> i figured you would This act of great villainy went beyond the impudence with which had hitherto been ascribed to the Orders. As the fighting was particularly intense at the time, many attributed this to a sense of inherent betrayal. And after they withdrew, about two thousand made assault upon them, destroying much of the membership. But this was only nine of the ten, as one said they would not abandon their arms and flee, but instead entertained great subterfuge at the expense of the other nine. Mm -hmm. This is our first hint, at least the first one I can think of, that these Skybreakers are still around, and they are keeping to their oaths. And here's a little teaser. I, I, Rob Santos, myself, I got into a bit of a spat with another member on our Cosmere Theories page over this one at one point in time. Once we get the confirmation in... Oathbringer about Shallan's older brother Helloran. I'll, I'll be elaborating upon this in the future. One guy tried so hard to argue that my proposition that Helloran was a proto-Skybreaker this is before Oathbringer was released my proposition that he was not only uh, like uh, involved but he was actually a proto-Radiant at that point this guy kept arguing that not only was I wrong, but I also didn't have enough information to even form this theory, logically. I won't out him by name, but I will go a few <laughs> minutes of gloating into it on one of our Oathbringer episodes coming up. I was right, and I had the, the context necessary because I guessed it right, you smarmy prick.
1: <laughs> That's just what I'm going to oh, leave that Tell me how you really feel, Rob. <laughs> yes, 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 um. yes.
0: It was it was total vindication when I got that in, in Oathbringer. I was just, I literally I have believe it or not, we had already conceptualized this podcast even though we hadn't started it yet. By the time Oathbringer was released, and so as I was reading through Oathbringer. I was writing down, literally, first read impressions. And I have that note file still right here on this phone that I'm showing you. And one of those <laughs> one of those impressions was generally calling him out by name and saying, Oh, what is up, blank, blank, because I have his name here on my phone. I remember his name. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> In case you all are wondering, Rob Santos can hold a grudge. <laughs> so let's okay. talk about his trophies. Okay. All right. I have it written down here. I'll just quote it real quick. Yep. A vial of pale sand, a couple of thick hairpins, a lock of golden hair, a branch of a tree with golden writing on it. She couldn't read. Not
1: not golden writing. Just writing.
0: Okay. Thank you. I got that one. I copy and pasted that one directly from somewhere on Seventeenth Shard. They got that wrong, I guess. A silver knife, an odd flower preserved in some kind of solution. That chunk of pale crystal looked like it may be some kind of gemstone, but why was it so delicate? Bits of it had flaked off in its case, as if simply setting it down had almost crushed it. Shall we go through these in order? Do you just want to knock them all out? Sure. Vial of pale sand. Taldane. Yes, white sand from Taldane. Mm -hmm. What the hell are these couple of thick hairpins? Hemallergic spikes. Thank you. Okay, I was wondering. I I was kind of scared to put that one forward because they're so long and skinny, but okay, thank you. Yep. Lock of golden hair, hit me. Royal locks from Nalthus. Gotcha. Branch of a tree with not golden writing on it.
1: Uh, this is from Yolan. Oh. Yes. That's not what I heard you put forward years ago. Uh, yeah. I at one point I had a theory that this was uh the bone of a Dakor monk, but it is confirmed to be a a branch of a tree from Yolan. And oh, wow. my my guess <laughs> is that it's not specifically described as a white. Branch, but I'm guessing this branch is white, and it is a, a, a fane life. I was wondering if you'd bring up the, the feign. Okay. Okay. Um, there, there. It it might be something different, but I uh, I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. Mm. A silver knife. Definitely a silver knife from uh, Threnody. Threnody.
0: Yes. Yes. Where silver is so important for for life mm-hmm. an odd flower preserved in some kind of solution the tears of Edgley from nalthus Ooh, i pronounce it edgly although i do like edgly a lot better thank you um a lot more i should say yeah. um that chunk of pale crystal that looked to be some kind of gemstone but why was it so delicate drew uh because it is an amberite ether from ether of night oh damn i didn't even know that there was a specific kind of ether okay yes <laughs> ah, I want to get more into that
1: later. Um, okay, so that that's, uh, and I'll just say for anybody out there who has not read Ether of Night, uh, I need to. You know, right selfie. now you got a lot of Cosmere content on your plates. You got Dawn Shard coming up. You got Rhythm of War coming up. But let's be honest, we're we're gonna have another pretty lengthy break after Rhythm of War until we get new Cosmere content. You should probably go check out Aether of Night. It is non canon. Although, obviously, some elements of it are canon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it is very enjoyable. Some of my all-time favorite Brandon Sanderson characters are in that. and really? uh, And he oh, does intend to rewrite the story and publish it at some point. And at least one of the main characters, I'm guessing all of them, will, will remain. But at least one of them will because he's planning on this character being a world hopper in the Warbreaker sequel. So... Sweet. Yeah. It, okay. It, and you can get that by creating an account on 17shard.com if you don't already have one, and go to the Ether of Night discussion board, and they have a thread there where you can request uh, to have the file sent to you. Awesome. All yeah. right. Rock's story about the origin of the
0: Horneter people, and, and how he mentions a particular pool of water through which one can, I, I don't remember if he said, see or enter, the realm yeah, of the gods. T, yeah. I mean mm. you you can. you can. It's a perpendicularity. You can. <laughs> yeah, you can. But yeah. Yeah. For those who aren't aware of it yet, this is Cultivation's Shardpool. Yes. Zavenna crossed through to Roshar using this shard pool from I would presume Nalthus, although we don't know how much world hopping she was getting up to before immediately before coming to Roshar. But a good point. Hoyd has also clearly been through here at least once, mm. likely more than once. Yeah. Rock I
1: got to be describes more than once he, as, he has his own mythology yeah. in the horn eater yeah. religion this guy describes definitely been him through as a powerful god, god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: so that's all i wanted to say about that any more miscellaneous before i go into my last
1: couple uh yeah i have a couple more um we well, have four, going actually. back Sorry. to that scene when kaladin is practicing in the chasms okay and uh sil is kind of like yelling at him for for Taking it too quickly and beating himself up about not being able to, you know, do it right the first time. Yeah, and he sees sees the shades more. And scene, uh, I believe. And he says, Zeth called this lashing, a good term. Sil so said, nodding. Wait a second. Oh yeah. How the hell does Kaladin know what Zeth's name is? Oh,
0: damn. I thought you were about to say, how does Kaladin know what a lashing is? But Because no, I was about to say, well, Zeth said, I lashed you to the sky. You're right, though. Wait, 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 no, no, no. He, oh, no, he though. Didn't, he, he didn't say, I am Zeth, sons, I am Zeth Truthless. He just kept saying,
1: they named me Truthless. You're yeah. right, how the hell does he know and, that? And everybody knows him as the assassin in white. Like, uh, un- unless I'm forgetting something, Zeth's name is not common knowledge. No, it's not. So, I I think this may have been a, uh, an inconsistency that slipped through the, the beta read cracks.
0: I don't know. This seems so glaring, though. I mean, I didn't catch on to it until just now, but I'm not a particularly astute person myself. Um, there has to be a reason. There's no way that just, that just slipped by everyone. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: some things like this happen. Uh... But yeah, so for, for our listeners, if anybody has an answer to this question, if if I'm forgetting about a scene earlier in the book where the Alethi knows Zeth's name or, or something like that, let us know. But uh, as it is now, I'm pretty sure this is a mistake. Okay. Damn, that's that's a damn nice catch. Yeah. Is this one that you just caught, or is this something that you've been sitting on for a while? Uh, I, I just caught it on this read, but this is only okay. my third read of Words of Radiance. So. Because... I've legitimately had the moment where I go,
0: well, how does Kaladin know the term lashing? And then after a few more reads, I realize, oh, no, Zeth says to him, I lashed you to the sky. Yeah. This is impossible. Yeah. But, and that's exactly what I thought you were about to say. But when you whipped out, how does he know Zeth's name? I was kind
1: com- I have nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: okay. I, have a, I have a few more. All right, sweet. So do I. Awesome. I like that we both have a few more. Hit me up, dude. Uh... The scene where Hoyd is their carriage driver and then he disappears and there's a, a ah. different dude <laughs> with an accent Kaladin did not recognize. I
0: needed an objective frame of reference by which to judge the experience um, of your company, I think it was.
1: Yeah. What? No. Oh, you, the different different scene. This is when Kaladin and Adeline and Shalon are in the carriage. Sorry, you're you're right. You're right. Yeah. Kaladin talks to him very briefly.
0: Yeah, I just um, learned, and, yeah.
1: And Hoyd like, disappears, and there's a different guy driving the carriage mm. after that. And the guy had an accent Kaladin didn't recognize. Um, I do think this guy is a world hopper. No, he is not Wayne. Oh, oh my god, somebody actually put that forward? Oh, tons of people want this guy to be Wayne, because he has a hat. But there's... there's Almost in no way the, the timelines here work. Wayne is young in Era 2. I'm going to take a screen cap of my face of disappointment you know. right now. <laughs> uh, and and we do have word of Brandon that Wayne, as of Era 2, has not world hopped before. He is native to Skadriel. He hasn't been gallivanting across the Cosmere. Um, but but I do think the line that he had an accent Kaladin didn't recognize, I do think that is a, uh, a signifier Sure, yeah, it seems like an odd detail to just throw in there, yeah, however, since you brought up the other carriage driver scene with Hoyd <laughs> inevitably uh where the guy says Hoyd hopped out of the wagon and found a rock, and then quote, he hit himself on the head with it. Your Majesty did it three or four times, came right back to the wagon with an odd grin and said, "Um, yes, well, he said that he'd needed uh I had this remembered for you." He said, I needed an objective frame of reference by which to judge the experience of your company. Somewhere between four and five blows, I place it. Okay. This is, you know, like, this is a funny chuckle little scene, right? However, how can Hoyt hit himself with a rock? Because he's not damaging someone else. But he can't damage himself either. We see it at the end of Oathbringer. He can't even harm himself? He can't no, even
0: He cannot harm himself. What do you mean we say we, we see this at the end of Oathbringer? Jog by memory for me.
1: Uh he like has somebody else pull his tooth for him. Oh. Because he can't do it. Because it would hurt himself. And and we
0: know for a fact that was explicitly stated in the text that the reason he did that, not for a goof, was because he can't remove it himself? Yes. Okay. What, you, I can, I can pull him? up the word
1: of Brandon on it if you want. Maybe it was light weaving. He just decided to do that for a goof and he wasn't actually hitting yeah. himself. I don't so, know. So that's the only way this makes sense to me is if he didn't actually hit, hit himself. And he was faking.
0: Yeah. Um, pretty easy to hit yourself with your own thumb instead of the rock. But even then, you could still hurt yourself. Well, I mean, as long as you're you're pulling your blows. Hurting yourself is also subjective. I mean, what do you consider hurting yourself for somebody who can, who is almost immortal and is practically impossible to kill? Well, if he feels pain. So. Mm, interesting. Yeah,
1: it's just gotta be a trick of light weaving is the only thing I have. Yeah. But but that that stood out to me this time around where I was like, if he's actually hitting himself with a rock in the head, that does not align with what we know yeah. about. And, 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 and clearly, it
0: wouldn't be it wouldn't be Roshar and Lightweaving, it would be Yoleni? Yolenish? What's... How, Yolish.
1: How did
0: it be? Yolish? It would be Yolish Lightweaving, because he yes. doesn't have the cryptic yet.
1: Correct. So, hmm. Interesting. Um, and, and I don't believe it was Yolish Lightweaving, because Yolish Lightweaving generally requires uh, music and a particulate matter like dust or sand. Really? Oh my god, I just learned that! That's why all the... like. It, Okay, we're going to go uh, it's, into it's some all coming deep, together now, unpublished yeah. lore things. Hoyt is a Jesk, yeah, uh, which is like a, a kind of magical storyteller, and their whole mm-hmm. thing is that as they tell their stories, they play music and use light weaving with generally like sand or dust or smoke or something like that to enhance the story. That's oh why all the god. times we see Hoyt light weaving, oh my he's god. telling a story. Oh
0: my god! Warbreaker, yeah. when he's dropping the sand mm-hmm. in, in, in the chasms in the way of kings, when he's standing over a fire. a fire,
1: mm-hmm. and you then, just blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, so uh, I only have one more miscellaneous thing, and oh, it four. is once again, I mean, maybe this is just like the how I have changed as a reader since begin beta reading and gamma reading for Brandon Sanderson. But I'm going to read a quote from Adeline. <laughs> okay. After Elokar offers him a boon. For my boon, Adeline shouted to the quiet arena, I demand the right of challenge. I demand the chance to duel High Prince Sadius. Right here and now. Yep. As redress for the crimes he committed against my house. And then they immediately act like, oh, we didn't we he slipped away, we didn't have time to nail him down on when to do it, so it's gonna happen in a year. No, he straight up said, Right here and right now. This is a plot hole. Is it, though? Because, I mean, I, I agree.
0: I uh, Right away, I was like, it, I was one of those people reading this after the fact, even thinking, saying, yes, okay, I don't agree Calvin screwed up, but even if he did, it was Elokar that made the bigger mistake in allowing Sadius to get away on, on the predication that he was offended that Kaladin would make, uh, would demand a boon. He let Sadius get away and everything go to yeah. I I absolutely, I was, I was there, but... At the same time, I think that is still a justification, though. Like, the official justification is that Kaladin's demanding of his boon kind of nullified everything because of how
1: inappropriate it was. It's stupid! But well, that's... but it clearly didn't nullify everything because they're still holding Sadius to the duel. That's true. They just true, let he... Sadius decide when it's going to happen, which makes Wait, uh, no sense Sadius... since the time and place was spoken in the boon in front right. of dozens if not hundreds of yeah. people. It's just once Sadius <laughs> is surrounded by his
0: guards, he can make that demand because he outnumbers the colons, right?
1: Hmm. But, but that's, yeah, not, that's, that's, that's not the frame of it. The frame of it yeah, is, it, oh, well, he got away before we could nail him down on the details. No, the details yeah. were already set out.
0: <laughs> Maybe it was just the chaos, the literal chaos that mm. broke out once the light eyes Jimmys were so rustled by a dark eyes making that declaration. It just broke out in pandemonium and they physically couldn't reach Sadias. I don't know, but you're absolutely right. It is frustrating. It seems to be, I don't want to say sloppy, but I don't know. It's it's hard to justify. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have four more points. They're all small, though. Um, Watching the world transform that chapter there as the Alethi nobility watches the high storm approach Shallan is for whatever reason she's completely transfixed by the storm wall she can see lights she very specifically describes lights Mm -hmm. in the storm wall and she specifically thinks something lived inside that storm or some such I was paraphrasing there I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I always thought there was still more to unravel about the high storms I mean we're only I mean at the time of this recording on September 24th 2020 we're only three books in in terms of publishing I would bet good money there's more about the high storms that we haven't unlocked yet but it to me it's moments like this they read haunted somehow maybe maybe by cognitive shadows I don't know that's my best theory but there's something else going on here and I want to see what you'd make of it
1: Well I uh, I have two three things to say about that uh, One, I, there absolutely is, about, okay. is more to High Storms than we know about. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a perpendicularity, but it doesn't act unstable, the way you right? would think a perpendicularity would, because we see a High Storm go through Shadesmar, and they can't just hop back into the physical realm when it hits there. On top of that, we have the storm striders. We have no idea what those are.
0: Okay. All right. Yes. 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 There, there, there has been something, and this is what I originally thought when we talked about in in The Way of Kings Part Two, those red eyes outside the shutter. That that that. Words Calvin of Kings
1: Part Two. Oh sh. Sorry. What did I say? wave uh, Way of Kings? Yeah. Oh yeah. There you um, go again. Well, so I have two more points on this. Go for to it. What you said. There are weird spren in the storm, and to your point about cognitive shadows, there are legends on Roshar that the ghosts of the Lost Radiance wander the High Storms.
0: Yes. Yes. And Kaladin thinks about this. I believe it was also in The Way of Kings when he yeah. was... Uh, when, we were, when we were learning about how how the um, the Rosharans recharge their spheres. They leave it out at night. Sometimes they go missing. And there was this, this quip, this line about um, our point of view character thinking that that was undoubtedly due to more worldly thieves. But that was where we had learned that, that there are these Rosharan legends that... The ghosts of the lost radiance haunt the storms. You know, there's yep. something going on here, and
1: it's creepy, and I love it. Yeah, we we will 100% be getting more more with the high storms as this series goes on.
0: Earlier in this episode, I referred to another moment when I was talking about Moash's epic, it was the king, he had my family executed, and it reminded me of this moment, but I couldn't talk about it at that point, because it requires Cosmere-wide spoilers, so now I'll, I'll clarify what it was now. Like a string breaking in the middle of a beautiful chord progression on a guitar. This other moment was during Alloy of Law, when Wax and Wayne and Morassi are brainstorming about the Vanishers and Waxilium's mansion, and Wayne just cuts into the middle of the conversation to say, huh, tea's poisoned. And then he collapses to the floor and it kicks off an entire awesome action scene. Yep. I don't know what it is about these moments, but I love them. There was another moment in Starsight, which I got into as well, since it, but I, I'm not going to get sorry, which I said I, I, I will not get into since it's not Cosmere, but I feel like in that one, Brandon was a little predictable or maybe heavy-handed with that same kind of punch, and if you want, you can hear my thoughts on that already. We've already recorded that episode 44 weeks ago, at least. It was yeah, 42. Yeah, almost a year ago now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was episode 42. It was Starsight, so check out that episode <laughs> if you would like to hear my thoughts on this particular moment because I do expand upon it in there, but I won't bring it up here because that's not Cosmere. Um... I want to talk about the bird that the Thalen Merchant has in the chapter Middlefest, Jackson okay. of Nun. I just I just found this out today as I was doing a little bit of, of plot summary rereading just to make sure I was fresh on what part we were uh, covering for today. The name, Jackson of Nun. It mimics the, and this is directly copied from uh, Coppermind, mimics the naming conventions used by humans in Shinovar. The name is likely a nod to Jekson Sun Volano. Mm-hmm. From Way of Kings the original Prime. name that Zeth had in The Way of Kings Prime. Yep. That's cool. I like that little bit of Easter egginess in there. Um, and my, my absolute last miscellaneous Cosmere-wide spoiler point here, and I'm surprised you haven't brought this up yet, um, I think it was in the same meeting, Middlefest. Fest, uh, it was still a Shalon flashback chapter where in a meeting with Lynn DeVar, Wit is present, mm-hmm. and he dumps a pouch of powder into his own cup. And he drinks it. And according to Brandon, of course, we've had this confirmed for many, many years now, these were allomantic metals. And we, we were pretty sure that they are brass or zinc.
1: Yes, that he was uh, altering the emotions of the people around him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And he was also very, very surprised to see Shallan, presumably because he was looking for her, but wasn't ex- didn't expect to see that it was her, whatever yes. target he was looking for. Yep. There might have been Alamancy involved here. Who knows? He may have been burning bronze, right? That would be bronze. Uh,
1: I'm always getting... Well, no. It, this is more of a reference to his manipulation of fortune and how he okay, knows this where is and some when spiritual? to go places. Um, he he knows that he needs to be some places at certain times, but he doesn't know why. Yeah, and he's griped about and, not yeah. really knowing the reason why. Yeah, okay, And he, okay. like that, he had this happen, and that's why he went to Lindavar's Middlefest Fair uh but he didn't know why, and then when he was going there, that's when he talks about like, oh well uh once I knew I was heading this way and Helloran wanted me to you know wanted to get a message home, I said I would take it. He was already mm-hmm. planning on going there first before he got the message from Helloran because of this fortune manipulation. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean I guess if we're if we're just gonna point out like every single uh you know Cosmere thing we do have to point out <laughs> Zahel is Vasher, and oh we did that last episode yeah uh, but but it is way more obvious in in this section uh, in the last section he he has a couple of weird things he says mostly he just uses damnation as like a a, a like an adverb yeah <laughs> As Like a a weird curse, but in this (laughs) portion we have the Zahel point of view where he talks about not having the voice in his head anymore. We have the, uh, the innate life sense from his breaths where he senses Kaladin approaching in the night. And more importantly, we have him talking with color idioms and playing the marble game from The Court of the Gods. So yep. this this section of the book was just like an avalanche of like, hey, everybody, look who Zahel is. <laughs> yep. The first one was knock, knock, knock. The second one was pound, pound, pound
0: with a mm-hmm. fist, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that pretty much wraps up everything I have to
1: say about Words of Radiance Part 3. Uh, yeah, I think I think that brings me to the end of my notes as well. Let me just do one quick scan to make sure. Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I had one last point. I brought it up in the Shallan discussion, but I didn't go fully in-depth on it. Uh, That line where she said she used it, she needed it, but she couldn't let it control her life. Oh, my gosh, is it going to control her life? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody was paying attention, but during that moment,
0: uh, or maybe even directly before that, you mentioned about, uh, even in her past, she was thinking about her mother and and something that she couldn't accept and couldn't approach mentally she couldn't remember
1: that and i went again uh yeah that's well cool. and and how this is the beginning of her splintered personalities yeah and how that is going to be very prevalent it's just going, going to forward in the rest of this book and in it will it's <laughs> going to dominate her life going forward and it's it's
0: yeah it's something that i've complained about obviously previously i don't think i'll complain about that going forward anymore just because i've made my feelings clear and there's so much more positive about shalon that i'm going to be talking about and looking forward to but yeah i mean i am absolutely right there i was i i noticed that too it's uh right yeah final draft
1: uh yeah final draft
0: okay i'll start i uh what are you drinking a little something interesting today. I, I briefly mentioned it before when I had my fruit fly tragedy. Um, but I'll, before, like this requires a little bit of, of uh, context here. I, I I made a slight mistake earlier in the podcast, not this po- episode, but previous episodes, when I promised I would have the perfect drink for Words of Radiance Part 3. <clears throat> Turns out, after some more research, it wasn't as terribly clever as I thought. I, I First off, it actually the, the the drink I was planning on mimicking doesn't happen in this part of the book. It's in the future, um, but more importantly, what I originally planned to bring was the closest thing that we as a as a society have to horn eater shiki, <laughs> and that was the vodka Caesar. <clears throat> I mean, like that's what I thought shiki was, particularly after Lopin's cousin. Uh, added the spices Uh or whatever. I I, I know Shiki is an alcoholic, but I could have sworn I'd heard something for many, many years before this every time. uh, Something about Kremlings in this same scene. My brain went, okay, disgusting drink, fishy, and now it's spicy. It's gotta be a vodka, or it's gotta be a Caesar. (laughs) So I was about to bring a vodka Caesar onto this episode. But it turns out, yeah, I was a bit off in my head, in my canon about Shiki. It doesn't mention Kremlings at all. And the spices were only added after Rock was finished making it, so it obviously it's not part of the original recipe. And as it turns out, <laughs> shiki is actually brown; it's not red. Oh, so eh. okay. I was like, oh, oh well. So what I brought today instead was my first taste of a cheap scotch. I've been I've been eyeballing this for years. I haven't been able to tear myself away from the Glenfiddich long enough yeah, to actually yeah. try this. This here is a plain old Johnny Walker Red Label. Ooh. <laughs> it's about as cheap as scotch gets. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's it's scotch, so I already like it for that reason alone. But that said, it's a terrible scotch. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's pretty It's bad. about what I expected. Yeah. It's pretty bland. Nothing really uh, stands out. If, like, if this scotch, I wrote this down, if this scotch were a Stormlight character, it would be an
1: Aladar. You know, yeah. just, meh. The, the last time I had, last and only time, I had Johnny Walker Red Label, uh, I came away with it with the impression that it tasted more like tequila than it tasted like scotch. It was not good.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, I poured about uh, about a third of a glass here. I added a splash of water, as God intended. And then um, about a third of the way through that, I noticed a fruit fly in there, and so I removed the fruit fly, and I didn't want to be sipping made on it that all episode. So I just, yeah. <laughs> nice. Solid burn. No, it's, so after I removed that fruit fly, I didn't want to be sipping on it all episode. I just downed it all in one go, and now I'm slurring my words. But I mean, it, it mean it's... Yeah, nothing particularly no, special it, about that. But I've been drinking Johnny Walker Red Label.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll say, just just go get a bottle of Johnny Walker Black. Yeah. It's I've had one yeah. glass and I'm already hungover, so that'll, that'll give you an idea <laughs> as
0: to the quality of this yeah, yeah. particular yeah, stuff. If you're gonna do Johnny
1: Walker, at least get a bottle of Johnny Walker Black. It's still it's still affordable oh, and yeah. it is. Yeah, but it, no, it's also pissed.
0: It's also pissed. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's... I mean, I it's, mean, it's not, twice it's the not size great, for almost... Th- but it's, it's much better than the red. <laughs> I find that hard to believe because of, uh, up here in Canada, at least, we can only get that one in 40s, in 40 ounces, and so... It's not even double the price, so it's like kind of the same price for like like ounce for dollars. So it's like ugh, just it's also piss. It tastes like moldy peat piss. Sorry, I'm just going on to the Johnny Walker Black. there. I don't like that Johnny Walker Black either.
1: Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, what, I, I was I was okay with Johnny Walker Black.
0: Like yeah. I said, it's it's Maybe still like it on
1: the lower end of scotches that I've had, but it was much much yeah, better it's not than even the mid-range. red range. Like I could go to go go to a Glenfiddich if you have the extra ten or fifteen bucks. (laughs) 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 Uh, Sorry, go ahead. What did you bring? uh, Yeah, so I am drinking a Belgian wheat ale from Ology Brewing Company in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. As as uh, astute listeners may remember, I brought a beer from Ology on last week. Uh, this came in the same box from a very generous gentleman named Chris Martin. Last week it was oh, yes. Reshi Isles for Risen. This week it is for The Return of Hoyd. This beer is called The King's Wit. Oh my goodness.
0: I remember seeing a screenshot of that and being insanely jealous. Yeah. The King's Wit. And Thank you. I, I Thank you, Chris Martin.
1: I will say um, I'm not a huge fan of Belgian Wit beers. Uh, these, these tend to be very estery. have a lot of that, like, banana clove flavor that comes like across that. to me oh. as soapy. i not, um, I'm, I love that though, myself. It, it's, th- this one is drinkable though. I, it, it does have that, that estery profile, but there's a little more of like a citrus fruitiness to it, which I appreciate. Uh... It tastes closer to, um, like a blue moon, uh, than than like a really traditional Belgian wit. It, it's got, it's got a little more of that citrus, orangey thing to it. It is only five percent, so you know I'm feeling normal. <laughs> I've mm. had about a third of the can <laughs> so far, and I, I oh, don't even feel wow. like I've consumed any alcohol. My fruit fly was drunker than anyone that you'd have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a reasonably good beer if you like yeah. that kind of Belgian wheat beer if you like that banana coriander clove flavor, um, and you live near Tallahassee, I would highly recommend this beer.
0: Mm. So I'll tell you something crazy, something I've been actually dwelling on for the past two minutes, and I've been focusing on. I've just now realized that you have the same fridge I do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the non sequitur, but that that was like. <laughs> I'm just now noticing that we've sat here in front of this, this, this thing here, this webcam for dozens of weeks. Now I've seen this a few times. I'm just not realizing that we have the same fridge.
1: Yeah. I, I don't normally record in my own house. I normally record at Pat's cause he has all the, the fancy, fancy sound equipment. But, uh, lately we have had to, you know, record with me at home. So it's a nice fridge, man. Rob's been staring <laughs> at that refrigerator for, for, for like two minutes now, I've been staring at it and going, Oh
0: my God, how have I not noticed this yet? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I think that uh, that brings us to the end of our coverage of part three of Words of Radiance. This has mm-hmm. been episode 86 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, that we will be finishing amazing. off Words of Radiance. Uh, we will be doing part four and part five. So tune in for that. If you want early access to that episode, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com inkingoutloud all of our patreon proceeds as we've mentioned before uh, go toward pat our sound engineer and danny our wonderful artist who has been killing it with these stormlight thumbnails by the way who's always been killing it with those oh you mean with stormlight particular oh my god yeah yeah um i'm super excited to see what she cooks up for oathbringer and for rhythm of war uh, <laughs> so uh yeah so once again that's patreon.com slash inking check us out there if you want to support the podcast As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Goodbye, everyone.